Good day to you, everyone. And if you're a new listener, welcome to Beyond the Rock podcast. My name is Emily, and my co-host Jeremy and I welcome Mr. Tommy Blackwell to the show this week. Tommy is a true Austinite, unlike a large portion of local residents, myself and Jeremy included. So in this episode, you're going to hear some super cool history about the beautiful limestone tucked away in the Texas Hill Country. Tommy has a wealth of information about the South Texas climbing community, as well as those who developed it. The discussion today revolved around why areas like Reimer's Ranch are so unique and how the climbing community in general has changed over the years. Now, I'd like to squeeze in a little something before we get into the show, and that's a big thank you. Thank you to all of you listeners who have been with us throughout our journey. As we've continued to push out content, I'm sure you've noticed quite the evolution in format and quality, and today is no different. I'm actually trying out a few new things, and I would love to get your feedback on it. So if you have some time after this episode to write us a rating and review, we would greatly appreciate it. Oh, and one last thing I'm going to put out there. One day soon, we'll be able to offer discounts to our listeners from our future sponsors. It's all about that positive growth mindset, you know? I feel like you have to manifest the future you want, as woo-woo-y as it sounds. But I recommend applying it to your life because it can work both on and off the wall. Okay, here I am taking up way too much time on the mic again. So enough of me and on to our interview. All right, so today we have Tommy Blackwell. How are you doing today, Tommy? I'm good. I'm good too, you guys. <laughs> for what? For once, Emily was quiet. I was, I was scared me. Well, I was I was waiting for you know the the introduction for me as well. But considering Tommy's our guest, the spotlight is on him as it should be. Good evening, Mr. Blackwell. Good evening. It's great to be here. So right before we were recording, Emily was getting some things straightened out techni- technically wise, technical wise. Tommy was saying that we have some things in common, and one of them is that we both started climbing when we were 41. That's right. And what was the other thing? We never got to that. The other thing is uh, I also wear trifocals, but oh. I, have, I have never worn them climbing. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I, I have such a... Uh, because they've got, you know, yours probably do too, have those progressive lenses, right? That as you move your head, the, the field of view changes. And, uh, you know, I wear them in the morning when I get up and sometimes in the evening, but they are so difficult to, to unless my head is moving, you know, in that straight line, you know, it doesn't work when my head's like that. I can't yeah. get the focus going, you know, or like that. And I can't imagine what, you know, the challenges that, that wearing the glasses would be to climb. So I wear contacts. I have a, a near vision in my right eye and a far vision in my left eye. All right. So for any of you guys wondering why we're talking about trifocals, I wear trifocals and I have an issue where I have a hard time. I'm having an issue currently where I'm having a hard time placing my foot on holds. I keep missing the holds completely, even when I try, which is weird because before I had done a lot of work on my footwork and I'd gotten my footwork pretty, pretty good. And then I got trifocals and then I built a home wall and I've been having a hard time. My home wall is above and below or above the hole. There's just tons of like black on the wall from the rubber on my shoes. So 
so yeah, I, I, I completely, I completely feel empathetic for you. And I, I, as I say, I have never worn my glasses climbing. It just, I, but because of that reason, uh, walking downstairs, you mm -hmm. know, we turn our head down like that. And actually then we're looking through the, the long distance part of the, of our glasses yeah. and, and the stairs are out of focus. It's really hard to see. Or um, I have, yeah, have climbed the, the ladder in the, in the yard doing something on the roof and up and down the ladder looking at my feet. When I look down, it's not right. It, yeah, it's, it's a real challenge. I don't have a problem with stairs. The only issue I've, I've noticed besides the climbing is like if you're just like laying in bed or laying on the couch trying to watch TV, you're looking through the lower part of the glasses, which is the reading part of it. And yeah, you kind of got, you can't, you can't just lay down. You have to prop yourself up. You have to, otherwise you can't see anything. But it's interesting that you have the far and near um, context. My mom has had those for probably 40 years now. And it's, it became popular because JFK did that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and to a large degree, it's just, it's, it's been really good for me. I know that I have a, uh, it's not a blind place. It's an mm. unfocused place out mm. there uh, just beyond five feet and maybe to 12 feet. And then it gets back in focus. And uh, I blame that. I blame that um, <laughs> on my uh, lack of ability to on-site anything harder than a 510. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, it either has to be right here <laughs> and I can see it, or it's got to be way up there. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I miss the whole. I, no. When we were talking about it, I was thinking maybe I should ask my optician to give me something that's just like five feet of distance or something for bouldering where you can just, I can, everything's in focus, like within, you know, like five oh, or six. Feet. Yeah, for that mid range. I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. So, for our audience that may not know you, Tommy, can you introduce yourself? Yes. My, my name's Tommy Blackwell. I'm a native Austinite. I've uh, been climbing for uh, 26 years as, as of this past summer. I, uh, I prefer limestone and sport. While I, ha I have a big honking trad rack and I've uh, traveled to, for trad climbing, El Cap, for instance, in places in uh, Colorado, uh, uh, Seneca Rock, West Virginia, I, I prefer limestone and sport climbing. I love bolts. Nice. Um, so you're one of those rare unicorns who's actually from Austin. That's right. <laughs> these days, for people who don't know, Austin's very much a transplant city these days. And if you run into someone yeah. who's actually from Austin, it's pretty dang rare. Or they're or, really young. Yeah. <laughs> or you'll run into somebody say, Oh yeah, I'm from Austin. And like, Oh, are you really from Austin? No, I'm from round rock. Okay. You're not from Austin, then. I'm sorry. <laughs> it doesn't count. Um, so that's cool. You you love limestone. I I haven't really climbed on anything else. A little bit of granite at uh, E Rock, but yeah, it's just so sharp. I was out yeah. at Rymer's yesterday trying to boulder, and it's just so sharp. Where are you bouldering at Rymer's? The North Shore boulders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You ever go to the dugout? That's where I was. Yeah, the dugout. I did not enjoy it, but <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. It's like everything else at Rymer's. There's no feet for the first two or three feet. And uh, it was super hard. And like everything in Austin, it was sandbagged as far as the grades, in my opinion. 
Yeah. Uh, no, you disagree? You're, you're breaking me. It, well, it was it was me and two friends that developed the dugout. Oh yeah. Uh, back in '06, '07, something like that. Oh wow. And and uh, I I thought everything was was a little fluffy. I, you know that uh, that this V two was really man probably a you know V one. Uh, I thought I thought we were you know kind of overrating everything. Yeah, but I mean, no, but yeah. I mean, to be fair, I'm I'm like a V zero outdoor climber, so even the V zero there, I felt one of the V zeros there that I tried was I felt was challenging. I don't know. Yeah, but my Honestly, buddy, who, my buddy who climbs like V five outside, he was able to climb a few things. And yeah, I I really can't remember much about there are two. One of them, uh, Michael Jackson, probably called MJ. Yeah. That um. Uh, but uh, the pink hole was one of my favorites, and um, I, I don't know what we rated that. You know, probably V one or something. But kind of a weird diversity thing. I don't know that we saw that one, but we what is it the uh, the Transformers Boulder? There's a problem called Autobot. One called Decepticon. There's one called um, Tossing Tossing Little People would be the uh, politically correct way of saying it. But um, I think he's getting the guidebook out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, are we? I think, I think, yeah, I think somebody's told you that you're at the dugout. Uh, let's see what John's got in there about the um, that, those bouldering area to the. The dugout's on the North Shore, right? Like up by the, right by the river. Kind of. It. There's a crack called Evelyn, right? Yes, I believe you. You are right. Yeah, so we, that's around the corner. And then we were, I don't know, maybe somebody just renamed the route names. I don't know. <laughs> so, Tommy, can you tell us how climbing has changed in Austin over the years? Number one is the number of climbers that live here. Uh, of course, and part of that, too, is the number of climbing gyms. There was a a number of years that when I started climbing was, was uh, the summer of 94. Hank Kaler had his climbing gym, Pseudo Rock, in that area that's now part of the uh, city um, business center down there. It was just, you know, just bare bones, nothing. Uh, that closed and eventually we got the first of the two Austin Rock gyms open. Um, but even with those places, uh, the number of climbers was so small, you knew every climber. Whether you were in the Greenbelt or Rymers or in Chatham Rock, we all knew each other. I mean, it, I would say in those days of maybe a hundred climbers, you know, it's wonderful that there's now thousands um, and that it has become very evident, not only to uh, the parks managers and those those type of people that that rock climbing is uh, an important outdoor activity that a good percentage of their citizens like to engage in but it's also become uh, more mainstream that you know regular people understand what rock climbing is and where it is i think it enhances the sport to you know brings more people into it brings more pieces to it there's a thread that that's <laughs> that's going around here recently about how our uh, rock gyms no longer allow the use of 
uh, tube-style belay devices. Everybody has to use a Grigory, that's it. And there's some concern, will that, will that then mean that we have a whole generation of climbers that come out of the gym and don't know how to um, safely belay with something else and have a tendency to be hands-off sometimes with their belay device because the Grigory is so predictable. I don't know. I think those are I think those are things that are important and that we need to address. But I think it's I think it's a community thing where we just it it says get engaged, stay engaged, you know, and talk to people about stuff. Don't don't be afraid to to talk to your to the next party who's next door. Figure out how to do it politely without seeming like a you know flaming a hole. <laughs> Always important. So do you have any concern about the fact that the Austin community is growing so much and, and the impact it's going to have on places like Rymers or the Greenbelt? Yeah, the, my primary concern is environmental and that if it's just the number of, you know, footfalls that are out there uh, start making an environmental impact about erosion and uh, vegetation loss uh, those types of things threaten access. Um, so um, I, ha <laughs> I have a passion for, uh, for trail work and in particular about erosion control, just to manage it and make sure that if to parks people, I always explained it, that we want to maintain the trails and the access to the trails. Well, that's true, but to do that, you, you, have to main you really have to manage the erosion or the trails get washed away. What about the rock though? Cause I, I've heard that I haven't done a lot of sport climbing on the green belt, but I've been told that the rock's getting a little bit polished out there. And now <laughs> Bull, Bull Creek is polished, like the bouldering area. And what, you know, the Rymers and McKinney seem to be all right, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's limestone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's just, it, it's just the way that limestone does. And yeah. There's over the years, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we come out here and sandblast this thing. <laughs> maybe should we, should we do some of these kind of pieces to it? Period. What, uh, <laughs> it, it is just the nature of, of limestone. Yeah. I, I think the, I think the big question is when do we change the rating? You know, cause it was a five, nine when we all started climbing it, but now it's so polished. It's gotta be at least a 10 B. You know? 100%. The, the grades at um at bull creek the bouldering area i always say yeah this was a v0 10 years ago it's not a v0 yeah. anymore it's so 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah maybe 20 years ago yeah so you're retired now yes that's right yeah and and uh retirement's not going like i planned for it to go i retired at the end of 2019 uh -oh. and uh, and we had a great uh, holiday season and, and fun skiing in colorado we came home at the end of february and then we're you know ordering pizza and eating cheetos yeah. you know stuck inside <laughs> now right yeah. so besides um you know being in quarantine and are you enjoying being retired? Oh, absolutely. My whole point about being retired was it was time. I've, we've done everything I can do. I want to focus on, you know, staying strong and healthy. Uh, I have health challenges primarily now with a, a failed back surgery from some years ago, and I've had some other procedures since then. Uh, three weeks ago, got a spinal cord stimulator installed. I'm anxious to get cut loose and try it out, see how it 
and see how it goes here pretty quick. So are you still are you still climbing or still planning to climb with all that or? I I had not been climbing during COVID until I guess as we got later into the summer. I'm trying to think it was July or August, and I realized that I had a very few friends that were like me that that get up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. Doesn't matter whether you're working or not. We just wake up at that time of day. And we said, and the green belt is open from 5 a.m. till 10 p.m. every day. Yep. And that that uh, me and two or three will meet on a weekday early at Newwall and climb till you know 10 o'clock or so. And we'll be the only ones there. Um, we maintain our social distance walking in. We wear masks the whole time that we're walking in. We can take our mask down when we start climbing. And the belayer can pull theirs down while on active belay while the climber. If there's a third party, they have to stand off to one side and they wear their mask. Um, we uh, generally do not use each other's gear, you know, hang our own gear and take our own gear off the wall uh, and try to be very careful about not biting the rope to bring up some extra slag. And that, that, that's been, you know, been getting us out uh, a couple of times a week until insurance came through faster than I thought it would. I really didn't think I was going to do this back thing, back surgery thing until like later this year. And it just jumped up here at the end of um, October. And they said, Hey, we've got a spot. You want it? It's this coming Friday. And so I did it. Yeah. That's awesome that you got to get that taken care of. Um, yeah, when I was, when I used to sport climb more, I used to sport climb with the, me and my buddy used to sport climb with a, a couple and they were the type of people that show up at Rhymers at seven when the gates open Yeah, and, and we were leaving as people were starting to come in for, for the yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You get, if you get out there early climbers, at least local climbers don't tend to be early birds. It's, so. it's because our, our, ac our access is so short. I mean, what is it going to be? Is it going to be five minute walk? You know, or maybe we walk all the way down to the awesome roof and it's poof, maybe it's a 10 minute walk. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we were talking about the, the dugout and the boulders at uh, Rhymers before. That was the one thing, like, I'm just so used to being in Austin. Like you go to McKinney, maybe it takes you five minutes to walk from the parking lot. And we, we walked out cause we had nowhere we were going. We, we walked out to the boulders and found them and then came back and got our stuff and walked back out. And it's probably a half mile, three quarters of a mile of, yeah. Yep. fairly i don't want to say rough train because it is a trail but comparatively rough train and by the time we got out there i was ready for a nap man i was, I was done <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into rock climbing uh, i guess i've always been a little interested but had been kind of um distracted with with other things I've, I'd made trips to Enchanted Rock back when it was uh, still owned by the Moss family in the early 70s. He even took a, a class sometime in mid-80s at Enchanted Rock but from somebody. I don't know if it's Hank Kaler or Scott Harris or something like that, but it was always kind of busy. It wasn't until uh, the mid-90s, a uh, young friend just kept inviting me to, to meet with him, his brother-in-law and sister uh, in the Greenbelt for climbing you know so all right you know i've got a harness and get some shoes and give this a shot that's cool so you didn't have the issue where, like i did when i turned 40 i'm like there's all these things i haven't done i need to go do them <laughs> that's why i, I kind of got into rock climbing 
in a roundabout yeah. way that way. Yeah. Do you feel like rock climbing is accessible for most people? Physically, I think it is accessible for most people. Culturally and socially, it seems to be a white people's sport. Um, and that's, that's really disappointing. Um, uh, because it, anybody can have such a good time with this. Um, enjoy, you know, every new goal that's reached. Uh, and it's, it, you know, you look at it, the rock doesn't know what color you are, or, you know, where you were born or what country you came from. But, it, you know, here, it really does kind of seem to be a very, a very white sport. And what do you think that you and I as white men can do to help promote the sport to other races and genders and yeah we well it takes us going out and finding people and saying hey hey i got something i think you'd like to try let's talk about this it um because it is so far out of their social and cultural norm they don't don't even know that it's something that they'd, they'd want to be interested in i really thought that i that as I've watched friends come out of high school and go into colleges and universities, you know, UT's got a climbing program and, you know, San Marcos has got a climbing program and and A&M's got a climbing program. Texas Tech's got a great program that you'd see more people get involved in that, that, that are different, but, the, but there's not. And so I think about it for a little bit and I go, Oh, Oh, it, it is that stereotype. It's because that's what went there was white people, you know? And, you know, if, if a person of color looks at it and goes, oh, a bunch of white people over there doing that, obviously I'm not invited, which is, which is a normal, natural thing for them to think, but it's not true. Yeah, I, I, um, climbers as, as a group, uh, I find them to be more progressive and liberal thinking than you know, so many other, you know, ordinary kind of groups. You know, think about um, uh, other folks and other sports that can be can be rather conservative, can be rather um, uh, prejudicial. I would guess is a For kind sure. of way to say it. So it sounds a lot like mentorship and it's something that we talk a lot about on this program, on this podcast. Um, do you consider yourself a mentor? <laughs> I do. I do. I, I think I used to be a stronger, more uh, uh, louder voice of an advocate and a mentor uh, for um, access and community involvement. Uh, it, over the years, and I, and I was, I kind of was having this conversation with my older sister the other day. I, I blame it on, on corporate America. After the subprime loan fiasco, you know, 2008, the economy went, whoa, oh, 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 oh. And as it slowly kind of trickled back up in, in 11, I, what I noticed was the, the companies that I worked for and, and that 
my friends work for, they just went crazy. And the quotas were increased. The production was increased. My travel went from 50% to 100% on the time on the road. Um, but I had been uh, very active in, in CTM as vice president and then later as president. But by 2012, I was like, guys, I, I'm not here. I don't, I don't feel like I even live in Austin. I, I come home on the weekend to do laundry and see my wife. And, but I'm not here. I got I to gotta quit being in parts of that. So um, I, I feel like I could be a better mentor. Um, I, and I do, I really do enjoy uh, climbing with anybody. And if the, it's like we, to inspire each other to climb better, to do better, to see what we're doing and, and provide that insight and encouragement to each other. Um, even on a one-to-one level, it's a, a fantastic, wonderful part about the sport. For sure. Um, what do you think makes a good mentor? I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I've ever been asked that question. I would say, uh, is it patience? <laughs> some some knowledge of the uh, of the body of knowledge that we're talking about. Um, it probably, probably a, a lot of pieces like that, but uh, just it, you know, want to be around, be with people, um, help somebody else attain something. I, I know that I'd get it, uh, that I can, I can absolutely enjoy the, the feeling of elation that another climber has when they finally get that red point. And it is that I'm experiencing vicariously their experiences. And it's just a shared thing. It's, it's real simple, there's nothing to it, but it's, it's a big kick and, you know, a well worth, you know, helping somebody attain their, their ability to, you know, finally to push down a, a 513 or, you know, just get the red point on that, you know, 5.9 that they've been working on. For sure. I've only been climbing for four years and I've had the opportunity to, bring some people into the sport and it's always fun to see someone even just get like their first gym V zero and they get so excited because they don't think that they can do it. And you, you know, if you encourage them and you just, you know, get up, get up there and give it a try, you know, yeah. and then they get it yeah. and they get, they get super excited. Yeah. I, try yeah. put your, try put your foot in line with your hand there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it feels weird. Now step hard on that foot. <laughs> yep. Got to trust those feet. It's always hard. I'm, st- I'm still working on that after four years. Um, so you think it is the responsibility of the mentor or the mentees to seek each other out? Like, you know, as a mentor, is it your job to go find people to mentor or is it the mentee's job to find a, a mentor or is it vice versa? I think it's a shared pl- place of, uh, uh, you know, that on both sides of the street, the, the mentees got to be, uh, open and looking, you know, and, amenable to receiving mentorship and the mentor has, you know, had their eyes open and going, Hey, Hey, how about we, how about we get this stuff from, let's go, you know, I've seen what you're doing over here. Come over here. Let's, you know, let's give this five ten a whiz, you know? Yeah, for sure. And the, we, you know, I've been talking, we've been talking a lot about mentor mentees. And one of the reasons that we like to talk about on, on this podcast is because like we talked about before, there's a lot more people getting into climbing. And I think before climbing was very much a mentor mentee 
um, sport. You would go out, you'd find someone to show you literally the ropes and then you'd go climb. Yeah. Whereas now you can just go into a gym, start climbing, especially like a bouldering gym to start climbing. And then you can eventually just go outside without ever talking to someone who's been in the sport longer than you have. And then the concern that I always have is whether or not we have enough of these mentor mentee relationships to do things like protect the rock, like you know, just silly things like telling people not to climb on rock after it rains. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's why we talk about that quite a bit. Kind of going back to um, making climbing more accessible to everyone. Um, what, what are your thoughts on like changing route names, especially the ones that have, um, you know, racist or crude sexual names? We've been doing, a, they've, they've been doing yeah, a little yeah. bit of that here in Austin. I think, so. Right. Right. And I completely agree with it. it uh, there, there is no need for, for all, some of those awful names that have been out there for so long that were just, just embarrassing to realize that, that it was called that um and it didn't it you know whether we're talking about a, a statue from um, 1860 or whether we're talking about a, a route name or we're talking about a, a city that used to be known as constantinople right <laughs> names change <laughs> you know and they change for a reason and and their community embraces that name change and moves on you know so it's it i think it's always uh, always for the best to, for name changes i guess this is a question for as someone who's like i said i've only been climbing for four years and i don't completely understand this idea of we have to respect the the first ascensionist and you know get their approval and if we can't get their approval we can't rename it it just seems really weird to me. I don't know. It is weird, but I now I will um, uh, talk a little bit about the respect for the first ascensionists um, because so much work goes into a route development. It is a lot of work. We could do a podcast just on the individual steps of finding the route, determining if it's really you know rock that's worth climbing then cleaning the, the loose rock, climbing it again to figure out exactly where the, the route is. Do you understand that, that this is a way to do the crux? It can be done another way. And then actually figuring out where to put the bolt. So the bolts are in good rock, that the bolt isn't in the way of doing a move. You know, it's right where you want to put your hand or foot. And so that the bolt protects a hard move, right? You get these, and then that's the reason we're putting them in there. It's a lot of work for uh, a guy or a gal to do that. It, when they do it right, it's really, really beautiful. And I got to say, the guys that developed New Wall, they really worked hard on that. There, were, there was five of them that that really hammered it out right to starting in '88. January 1st, 1988, the first thing they bolted was walk the dog. Uh, they thought it was 512. That, <laughs> uh, and they, they really figured this out. And it was one of the places that um, after a couple of years of climbing, I was looking at you know, the bolt placement. How did they decide to put the bolt there, right there? Why, why is it there as opposed to someplace else? And 
why is that bolt so close to the ground? Or why is that one so far from the ground? You know, I said, first one, way the hell up there. there there's good reasons when, when done correctly, there's a lot of good reasons to, to help make that route be what it is. But as far as the name goes, it, it'd be called anything. It'd be called that, you know, that slippery one, the, you know, um, it, it doesn't really matter. The, the, the guys that developed uh, the seismic wall, Tom mm -hmm. Suler and his friends, named everything pretty much dealing with his dog, Maggie. And he called it Maggie's Wall. And then he fell out of the climbing scene. And by the time 95 rolled around and Jeff Jackson was putting out the first Texas limestone book, nobody knew any of the names. And so they just got numbers. And um, then they, because of that, people did give them names. And they went, well, th this one's name is Slimy Crack. And this one <laughs> you can make, right? <laughs> you know? yeah. And um, after some years, I think it was uh, 05, 06, someplace like that, we found Tom, got his, got his information on it, tried to put those names back in the book and call it Maggie's Well. People still call it Seismic, you know? <laughs> and oh, they, yeah. still, they still call that one, that one five nine slimy crack right you know it doesn't make any difference to tom it shouldn't make any difference to us yeah i was gonna say i i, I from what you said i completely respect the the work that people put into developing things but if i also feel like if the they refuse to change the name or approve the name change and the name is something that is offensive then you know it just has to go it has but, to go and you, yeah something that that uh that uh, as president of CTM back in those days, occasionally I had to remind the, a route developer or, or, or an FA, look, yeah, you did the work. We, we love you to death for it, but you don't own the rock. You know, it's a park. It's a public park. The public owns this rock. And, you know, this, is, this is what we're going to do. So I love you to death for all the hard work you've done. But, the, you know, in particular, I was thinking about a, a 512 that uh, Jeff Jackson put in uh, down there just to the right of uh, House of Pain. What was it? What was it? I can't think of what the name of it was. Anyway, it uh, poorly bolted. Uh, uh, definitely, absolutely, you move past the first bolt and you are full into a really hard 511 move, not the 512 crux, but a hard 511 move a couple of times before you get to the next bolt. And if you blow that, it's just hitting the deck from 25 feet up. And for years, people had talked to him about, you know, hey, we want to add a bolt. He goes, oh, no, man, that, it's, a, it's, a, it's a test piece. It's a, it's a rhymer's test piece. It's a, you know, that's it. it was like, look, you know, I do love you. And, and I, I do, I really respect you a lot. You know, you're a great guy. But we got a lot of people climbing out here and you know, we don't, don't need an, an, an unnecessary injury, you know? So whether you want it or not, we're going to put in a bolt. We're going to, you know, we'll absolutely talk to you about it, get your input on it. And even if you say no, we're putting in a bolt. <laughs> because injuries like that can also screw up things like access, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the uh, government officials, you know, the park people are always, you know, concerned about their liability, 
you know, about what's going to happen to them if people start getting hurt doing these kind of things. And there's, there's been a couple of other pieces, uh, primarily at Rymers, where we did some um, additional bolt work to make things or try to make them a, a little less, uh, <laughs> a little bit more safe. Uh, backflip was one. My name is Mud had had another issue to it and it, it got extra bolts to it. I'm trying to think what else. I think um, they added a bolt to pneumatic kitty 9000 or whatever. I think it used to only be two bolts and now it's three. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. it. I feel like that's every Central Texas lead climber's first lead or a lot of them. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's a V. It's not V. It's like a five six or five five or something. Mm -hmm. It's really easy. It was my first lead. Um, so I just want to say for everybody that's listening, that's not hearing Emily's voice. It's cause she's having technical difficulties. She's listening to us right now and she's sending me questions to ask. So I'm, if it sounds like I'm reading something, it's because I'm reading something. <laughs> um, speaking of questions, Emily wanted me to ask and Rhymer's rant. She said that you're recently, uh, featured in a short film called Atlas Obscura about how a group of rock climbers saved a ranch. And that's about Rhymer's ranch, right? That is, that is. It's what, yeah, it's one of the things I'm really proud about our climbing community. Back in those days when there, there weren't that many of us, a couple of hundred by then. So um, by the mid-2000s, um, Milton Reimer was like, I've got this ranch. I got another one down, two counties down. I was like, I'm kind of done here. I'm ready to go. And let uh, Travis County know that he would sell them the ranch if, if they wanted it as a parkland. And Travis County Parks people wanted to do that, but um, that meant that they had to put this huge amount of money onto a bond election and say, hey, citizens, Travis County, you know, we want you to purchase this. And they, the Parks people couldn't get the okay from the bond committee or from commissioner's court. And they came to us and said, you know what? If you guys, if you climbers could gather 1%, of the registered voters' signatures on the petition, we can get it on a bond election. And so by that time, uh, Central Texas Mountaineers probably had a membership of about 50, but uh, there were probably 200, 300 climbers in the community. And uh, those 50 of us then uh, got, our, got our tables and chairs, uh, met up with the uh, managers of REI and Whole Earth, and every weekend, we sat out in front with our petition and got people to sign the petition. Sure enough, got it on the ballot. And then after we, it was on the ballot, then spent those weekends handing out the flyers, asking people to vote for parkland, you know, that, that, you know, November, 2005, yes, they voted affirmatively for it. And, and we, Travis County bought Rymers and the North shore and the Pogue preserve. And it's one of those things that I think about, those, you know, 30 people, I got to be one of them. Those 30 people made a big difference in our community today to have, to have Rymers in North Shore like that. Definitely. Was there access to Rymers before the ranch was purchased by the county? Because I, yes. I was, long before I ever knew what bouldering was, um, I, had a, I had a coworker who was into bouldering. He used to always talk about going out to Rymers and that was yeah. back in like 2000. Yeah, starting in the early 90s, mm -hmm. uh, Milton, well, actually, it started much earlier. Is it um, in the 70s, Milton would allow anybody to come out and for it started off as 50 cents a person. 
um, to come out and go fishing on on his ranch out there. That's all. That's what it's about. Um, had some problems with some teenage beer parties, so he said no more of those. But um, by um, someplace in the 90s, Bill Gooch, Scott Hudson, I'm trying to think who else some of those old guys are, you know, found Rhymers and, you know, started climbing on the cliffs and then asked Milton, you know, do you mind if we climb on these cliffs, you know, pull some of these weeds down out of the, out of, out of the way, he didn't care, whatever you guys want to do. There, there was a, a little bit of a concern for a little bit about liability, but worked with him through that kind of piece to it. And so, yeah, for a number of years, uh, you drove up to the house out there and he came out, you know, counted how many people were in the car and said, okay, you know, it, it, by the time I was started climbing there in 94, it was a dollar per person. And then it went to $2 that, you know, it's still like, so what, you know? Um, and I, th- I think it was like $3 by the time that, uh, that the county purchased it in uh, 2005. And now it's $5 a person. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for the, for anybody who hasn't been to Austin or hasn't Googled Rhymer's Ranch, can you just explain why it's a unique area? It, it's a unique piece of uh, Texas hill country where uh, as you drive into it, it just doesn't look like anything. Um, a, and you're just like, this is it. I, I don't see anything. But it is, it is a system of cliffs that run through a creek bed that is an incredible canyon to walk into. And then as that creek hits the Pernalis River, then along the riverfront, those cliffs just remain that way for um, uh, three quarters of a mile one direction and half mile the other direction. So Rymers itself has got about 200 bolted routes in it. And then just north of that is the North Shore, the, which was the property owned by John Hogue. And um, that opened up just a whole nother <clears throat> mile of uh, riverfront with those tall limestone cliffs uh, that are out there. We had Rhymers, and um, when, when it was purchased, had just about 100 bolted routes on it that uh, hadn't been maintained. Uh, that because it was private property, it was one of those things where the climbing club did, didn't have any money anyway. It was yeah. like, well, I don't know, we want to put a lot of money into hardware maintenance at, at it. Um, but as we moved through that, that, the end of that year, 2005, got a new president, Gary Ellis, and Gary figured out how to make money, how to make the, the annual limestone or competition actually make money. And so we had money. And other piece that I'm, I'm fairly proud of is that me and two friends became the hardware committee. Me, Luke Bowman, Evan Jackson spent all of 2006 and a good portion of 2007 just every weekend in Rhymers pulling old bad hardware, putting in new good hardware. I counted one time where there was something like over 350 new bolts that we replaced with good hardware, good chains. We found some, we found homemade hangers. We found, you know, old rusty beat up pitons that people were, you know, that's what you got for, you know, we clip that for number two and go from there. That I remember Evan um, uh, being on one, what would that be? That would be the, that would, it would have been the third bolt on a liposuction 
was a piton and we and we were out there to pull the piton and place a good piece on it and evan just grabbed it with his fingers and twisted it back and forth for a minute and it popped like a paper clip you know and you just go wow yeah we got to do some hardware work here so um i i'm particularly proud of the a lot of those those pieces of of uh, hardware that are in there and um, the stuff that we placed is bomber. It'll be good for another 30, 40 years. Yeah, we've, we've mentioned before that we, we're we really lucky here in Austin, in Central Texas, because yeah. all of our hardware is really good. I know people well, often- Well maintained. Are, yeah, very well maintained. And you know they say to lower off the chain so it's super safe and yeah. you know to not think about it. You mentioned liposuction. Do you know who named that sex cave, by the way? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that cave called sex cave? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I always thought it was either Jeff Jackson or Greg Brooks, but I'd, uh, honestly, I have never asked either one of them how I, how I got that name. Every time I walk through there, I'm like, I would never have sex in this cave. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it was that that wonderful feeling they got about the potential of the routes that are in there that are just so gorgeous you know as as development occurs you know just looking up at the ceiling like that and michael klein going oh yeah I, i've got that you know let's get that and call it elephant man and you go what, what were you doing in there <laughs> for sure every time i see people working on liposuction i'm like oh this is futuristic in my opinion um when you say that we were installing hardware who was the we uh, for the, the hardware committee, that was me, Evan Jackson, and Luke Bowman. Um, and so was it just the Texas? So that was, a, oh, the, that was a CTM. I was the vice president of CTM. Gary, was a, uh, Gary Ellis was the president. And, um, and he would, uh, you know, basically pay for the hardware. And just, you know, us in the sweat and the muscle was out there, you know, hunting down the bad pieces and putting in new pieces. And then CTM was the Central Texas Mountaineers, correct? That's right. Okay. And so is it the, only the Texas Climbing Coalition that takes care, maintains it now, or is it a, a combination of people? It is at now. It is um, Texas Climbers Coalition that maintains the hardware there. Uh, Georgetown, Medwall, uh, you know, Monster Rock, um, of course, the green belt. What else? What else have we got? We got stuff all over nowadays. Yep. Have you had a chance to get down to Medwall yet, or no? I have not. I have a bunch of friends in San Antonio, and they keep like, "You got to come down." And I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah. One of these days I'll get down there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When the virus stops being an issue, I'll be down yeah. there. For new climbers, do you recommend that they start in the gym or outdoors? I'm I'm assuming that back in the day, everybody started outdoors. That's right. Um, you know, I don't see that there's anything wrong with starting in the gym. Um, I think that the important part is to work with experienced mentors that really know, you know, why it is that we tie the knot this way, that know the reasons for the safety protocols we do, and that, that we have a close enough relationship with each other that it's okay to even correct the mentor and go, hey, 
did you told me that that you have to always keep your hand like this but you're not keeping your hand like that you know there you go yeah. hmm? you know because it's uh, that 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 kind of open communication between the folks um enhances safety for sure um it always frustrates like me and my climbing partner we learned to climb at crux and they you know they told us you know all the the, the safety checks and everything you should do. And we've been, you know, we haven't sport climbed outside in a while. I haven't with him, but every time we do it, we do all the checks and I just see people out there who are just, just tying and jump on the wall. And I'm like, yeah, I want someone yeah. to look at my knot. I want to look at their setup on the, you know, the, their belay setup. I want to know I, that. Um, I, the friends I climb with, we, we, we look at each other's knot and, and I'm, I'm maybe the worst of the group that, uh, I think I am the most often that, that I hear somebody go, hey, 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 turn around. Let me see you're not. <laughs> I'm like ready to be on the wall. Like, oh, you're right. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. They go, yeah, see him walked across the gate. We're good like that. All right, let's go climbing. <laughs> the, the thing that always scared me about sport climbing is that first time you lean back on the knot and it creaks a little. And yeah. I'm like, I tied that. I, I'm really worried. <laughs> <laughs> have to be in charge of my own safety. So what is something that you would like younger generations of climbers to consider that you've noticed that they don't? I don't know that this is just young climbers, but it, it, it seems to be more, more frequently uh, new to the sport climbers. And that is leave your dog at home. If you're climbing, you can't be taking care of your dog. If you're belaying, you can't be taking care of your dog. And trust me, your dog does not enjoy being tied to that tree. You know? And if you don't have your dog tied to the tree, then you're in violation of either the county or the city's rules about the dog being out there. And the dog is either, you know, running through somebody else's uh, belay area, digging in somebody's pack to get their beef jerky, you know, um, I, we've got two dogs, you know, and they're, they're laying on either side of me here on the sofa right now. I love them, uh, but I don't take them climbing. They, they, they don't enjoy it. They, you know, think, oh, take them, take them climbing. No, they don't, they don't enjoy it. They might enjoy the walk out, maybe the, the walk in, but it, it just isn't that much fun for the dog. Leave your dog at home. Yeah. So that rolls into, um, Crag etiquette, which is something that we talk about quite a bit on this podcast, and is also something that, for in my opinion, is an important part of a mentee mentor relationship. Is this is yeah, you can act this way in the gym, but if you're going to go outside, you need to act a little bit different. So, are there any other things like that you think that the that climbers should improve on? Well, as far as Crag etiquette, yeah, you know, it's always to be uh, very cognizant, be aware of how your party is spread out uh, you know have you have you just thrown a big yard sale out there and you and you've got everything blocked off but you and your guys are only on one route you know um do you have ropes hanging off of four routes but there's only three of you climbing um be considerate you know of of the amount of space and the places you are uh, today with with covid i mean that's really important i mean it's it's like part of our part of our piece is if other climbers come up, we want them to have a whole big part of the wall that's theirs, and they don't feel like that we're infringing on it. Um, you know, just the normal stuff like 
you know, how loud you play the music, you know. Yeah, I know that's a, a big one with people is music, whether or not you should or shouldn't or how, you know. I, I like music personally. I like music at the wall, but, but I'm, I'm you with know, whether you. people I'm, like my music or yeah, my yeah. music. I'm with you. And even like when you're in a group, sometimes like I, my, my, my main climbing partner is anti-music at the wall. So, um, so we don't play it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if I'm out there with a different group of people and we're being a little, you know, we're having fun and maybe being a little bit rowdy, then we'll play music. Yeah. As long as we're not bothering anybody. So when you see someone and they're doing something that's potentially hazardous, how do you intervene or do you intervene? Yeah, um, it depends on the, the level of hazardousness to it, right? If intervention can wait and you get them on the ground and, you know, say, hey, hey buddy, can I talk to you a second and have a quiet, polite conversation? That's the first way to start it. Um, but, uh, you know, I think about the guy that I saw uh, standing at the uh, at the top of that 5-8 over on the slabby wall at uh, seismic um completely untied right oh boy and cleaning his gear you know and it's like you got to say something you got to say buddy you know if if a snake bit you now (laughs) you'd be down here you know tie back in clip back clip back into that piece um so yeah i i feel like I feel like as um, as climbers, we owe it to other climbers to to help them recognize little safety issues and but be polite about it. You know, don't be a, a, a rude asshole about it. Um, For sure, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, and and in your experience, have people been receptive to that, or are they just blown you off? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, they've acted receptive because I can be pushy and loud <laughs> and, and, they, and they can go, oh, he's one of those guys. I probably, I probably should have told you this part in the introduction. Um, I'm retired law enforcement, 28 years of law enforcement, followed up with 15 years in, in uh, pu- public safety software. So uh, I, I can be a loud cop kind of person <laughs> it, it it isn't what i want to do every day but if sure. if i need to be you know i mean you know and, and to be able to talk to somebody at the top of a of a route and go, dude you gotta pay attention please please just put that piece back in <laughs> you know <laughs> let's ta- let's talk you through about untying the knot and then doing that other parts in, in just a second but <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like there's certain people in the climbing community that aren't very receptive to people telling them things that they think are incorrect. So. Well, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's, it's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable to, you know, have somebody, you know, say, hey, you're screwing up, you know, and somebody to tell you that. And, and, you, sure. and you got, and, and it's normal for them to feel embarrassed or uncomfortable, even defensive about it. But you know, it's the right thing to do is to say, Hey, you know, I know, I know, just, just give me a heads up here, you know, and they could, they may act like they don't like it. They'll be real defensive about it. 
may even leave in a big huff, you know, but they won't make that mistake again. And, and they may never thank you for it, but they won't make that mistake that way again. Definitely. So what are your thoughts on the climbing community as far as the way things have changed with social media, YouTube? In fact, right before this conversation, I was watching some videos that a guy sent me of him doing, he has a home wall and he does a Twitch stream, which is mainly what gamers do. And mm -hmm. he, he streams his sessions over Twitch um, on the internet. And um, I know some people are like climbing is just for climbing, you know, your sins are your sins. You shouldn't bother sharing them with people or um, I don't know. Everybody's a little bit different. So a, another little piece of climbing history in the very early nineties, late eighties, early nineties, there were two different models of videotape recorders. Yep. Just like when, you know, how we started off with Apple and, PCs, right? And there was a VHS, this big one, and then a smaller one called Betamax, right? An um, Austin climber by the name of Jack Molesky had a Betamax camera. And he, Jack climbed hard. Um, he, he, he was, an, he'd actually been a climber in the gunks. His dad got sick, who was here in the Austin area, moved down here to, to help him take care of his dad for a number of years. The reason we call it beta is because Jack Molesky said, I got the beta, right? And what he was telling his friends was, he's, he videotaped somebody else climbing that really hard route. It's here. The technology is in my hand. I've got the beta, right? So we've been, we've been getting the beta for years and years, you know, whether it was an old style videotape or whether it's something on YouTube or on Twitch, um, we love, as climbers, you know, we love the movement and seeing somebody else do it. I mean, that's just a piece to it. Now, then, there are folks, and I, and I love them, that really love that completely on site really pure, odd view, I don't know nothing about it, don't tell me anything about it, and go do it. Go for it, go for it. They don't have to watch the video. They don't have to watch that guy on YouTube or Twitch or, or TikTok or anything, they, they, you know? It, it, part of the beauty about the, about the sport, it's there or it's not. So um, I've, I've have long, long wanted um, to, develop a, a climbing guide that was entirely video based <laughs> that, that the climber brings you up to the wall so that you are absolutely certain you are at the right route you know I cannot tell you how much time I've spent in Mexico and Colorado and Smith Rock Oregon walking around with a guidebook going I think this is the route we're talking about, right? <laughs> is it really? Sure, you know, yeah. Is it really? I don't know. And then, um, oh, Lord, uh, I'm trying to think what it was I got on. I thought it was a 5.8 in Mexico, and it turned out it was, you know, after third bowl, it's like, holy smokes, this is the worst 5.8 I've ever been on. Or the the uh, the 5.6 in Colorado. Anyway, I've, a video guy, completely video-based, it runs in your phone the gps takes you to the route shows you the piece and 
every detail about the climb, including close-ups of exactly how to place your fingers or place that foot on that hold and walk you through every piece to it. I, I realize that's not for everybody. That's sure. just a, that's the climbing guide that I would like to see. Yeah. I've in the age of GPS, I still don't understand why climbing guides don't have like GPS coordinates to at least the wall, if not the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the joke, the joke that was going around the other day and I, I was saying like, you know, the, the, the description of the guidebook is always go, go to problem X and then go 300 feet to the West. Look for, that. Yeah. Look for yeah. the obvious good jugs, which in my opinion are either a, the whole wall is full of jugs or what they think are good jugs. I think are like tiny crimps or tiny pockets or something. Yeah. And I'm like, I, this is crazy. Yeah. Even like I said, we were uh, the other day I was at, um, I was at, you know, at Rhymer's at the boulders and it's like, and the directions are until you see the tree trunk without any bark on it and then turn right. And then, so we were joking. I'm like, yeah. And then you run into a crow named Bob and he gives you the rest of the directions. <laughs> <laughs> we did actually find the tree trunk without bark on it eventually. Wow. So. Wow. <laughs> Do you have any good stories about climbing about like disasters that you've avoided or just funny stories? Um, I've got, yeah, I've got stories. You, I got, you, uh, help me narrow it down. <laughs> um, Do you uh, have, how about, how about a story about developing rhymers or working on rhymers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so North shore gets open for development in 2007. And, um, we're, that's another piece that I'm, that I'm proud of. I'll, I'll get back to that in a little bit. But, but we're out there with a handful of other developers that have been approved by Travis County. And there's about 12 of us all together. They called us the Bolters. And we'd have to submit our applications to the, to the organization at that time, CTM. Uh, CTM approved it. They didn't you know, give it to the county. And if they approved it, it went and bolted the route. There w was a crack in a roof um, pretty soon as you come into North Shore that um, we had looked at and went, we're bolting that crack. And, and it was really, really a renegade kind of rebel thing to do because trad people would say, you never bolt a crack. You know, you put gear in a crack. Oh, it's limestone. We're bolting this crack, you know. And, and, and we did. And we called it uh, more fun than bubble wrap. And in my opinion, it isn't that much fun. It, <laughs> it, it, it was really disappointing that, you know, to think this is going to be great. You know, it's, it, it's okay. And, and actually, I know some people that really enjoy it, but I'm like, well, I'm glad that you enjoy it, but I never, I never cared for it that much. <laughs> Tried to sell it with the, with the name though, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And how about any... Um disasters that you've avoided or any crazy things as far as um, yeah i guess uh, dis uh, near disasters uh uh lightning storm come up just as we're topping out in uh, colorado have to wrap off the backside and don't really know the the descent um and get to the 
uh, next to last wrap station and pull the rope and the rope is stuck. And the, the lightning hits, boom, the wall goes white. You feel the concussion and you're like, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> you know, can I get further away from the metal? I don't think so. I'm kind of attached to it. You know, how, do, yeah. how can I, how can I become underneath this piece of moss here? Um, yeah. You know, those kinds of things. Uh, they just uh, summertime in, in Colorado, you know, that you can't see the big storm coming from the other side of the mountains. Um, Never gotten caught in a lightning storm while climbing, but I used to really be into kayaking years ago. Yeah. And we were out on Lake Travis and we saw the storm coming. We started paddling back towards Manfield Dam. And all of a sudden I just heard like this thunderclap behind us and the whole dam just lit up because of the lightning must have hit somewhere. And of course, maybe you're in wow. you're on the water, so there's no place yeah. to go. Yeah. So we just, we no started paddling there. faster and faster. Yeah, things like that are crazy. Mm-hmm. Um and I also say as someone who started sharing his climbing on Instagram and YouTube, because we both, you know, we both started at 41. I didn't see anybody my age climbing and I would encourage you to, you know, maybe start a YouTube channel or an Instagram if you don't have one and, and to start sharing because honestly, there's, it's going to sound sad. I don't, I don't know how old you are. You you're definitely older than me. I'm not retired yet, but I see people like you and I'm, I'm, I feel more encouraged about the possibility of my climbing career because when I started climbing at 41, I was listening to a podcast and basically the person hosting the podcast said, anything's possible in climbing as long as you're under 40. And I'm like, well, I'm already yeah. 41. So I'm, yeah. I'm already behind the eight ball, obviously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is, you know, climbing is kind of like gymnastics. You start when you're six yeah. and you're done by the time you're 25, it seems like. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got a YouTube channel. I've, and and I, and it's got climbing videos in it. Okay. Um, the one or two of me. Um, it probably has fifty or so climbing videos in it. Um, I should, I guess, I should do more. But uh, you know, as as I got um, as I got further into uh, videography, mm-hmm. I got more and more critical of my. Uh, skills, uh, both as a cameraman and then later, you know, editor to to put it together. And it's, to get it done right, it's really, it's really, you know, quite a piece of work, you know. Otherwise, you know, you kind of have some butt shots or you mount a camera on your helmet and, you know, slam your way up there. And as you watch it, you're quite quite uh, nauseated, but um, I'm trying to, um, you can find it, Blackwell78738 on YouTube. I'll check it out for sure. Yeah, filming, climbing, even bouldering is still, I feel like it's still very in an infant, infant state, infancy state. Like I watched like, uh, if you ever watched skateboarding videos, I'm like, these guys have got this down. They have figured oh, it out. Oh, man, yeah. <clears throat> we yeah. have not figured it out yet. Um, well, we're still, we're still uh, well, honestly, we've got, we've got a lot more vertical sure, yeah. challenges than For the guys sure. on skateboards or, or the guys that are out there on their bikes, yep. um, you know, even motocross. I mean, they've got some vertical, but they know exactly where it is and, you know, how to get set for it. Ours is really, 
you know, it's all, it's always different and challenging. Oh, for sure. But I, I guess I haven't really seen anybody solve that vertical problem, right? Like, I feel like you could make something like a rope that you rig up that the camera could go up and down. I don't know. I'm just, I sit around and think about these things because it's a drone. Yeah, it's a drone. It's a drone. I've I've seen some guys do some good stuff with, with drones as far as climate videos and um, can be really uh, a great addition. Um, But you, but you still need, you still need that close up. You know, I want to see those fingertips hit that rock and a little bit of chalk dust away from them as they bear down on it and do a thumb lock across the top of their index finger and you hear the creak underneath it. I want, I want the camera close. Um, yeah, so that's hard to do with the drone. For sure. And I'll take this opportunity because I know Emily would. I will say that her group, the Texas Lady Crushers, is doing a photogra- uh, climbing photography. Um, what do you call it? A retreat seminar class? Um, and so uh, clinic, there we go. Um, so you have to look at the Le- Texas lady crushers website and I will, I will. And, yeah. uh, check that out. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. They're doing it. It's the first time that I know of that it's been done in central Texas. I am not going to be there, but, um, maybe next time <laughs> I really got into climbing. So I had this issue in the beginning of the year where I got very frustrated with my climbing. And then, so I started doing climbing photography, bouldering photography, and I got really into it, but then I just stopped climbing because I'm one of those people that I get, I get sucked into one thing. And um, since COVID, I've, I built a wall in my garage and I've really gotten focused on, on climbing again and I don't want anything to distract me. <laughs> so, cause if I get back, I know if I get back into photography, I'll just, I'll be all about, cause it's another thing, photography, videography, you go out and you shoot and that's half of it. And then the other half is coming home and processing that, that thousand I, you, photos that you took out of the Craig. Right. It take, it, there's a lot of time. There's a lot of butt in the chair time to, for sure, to put yeah. together a good video. Yeah. For both of them. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for people who want to get into climbing, but don't have support of their friends and family? I would uh, today. I would definitely start at the gym because you can walk in by yourself rent the shoes and just get the feel of what's going on and start meeting folks, taking classes at the gym, eventually taking classes outdoors that, you know, I, I would say today that's, we're just so blessed to have so many great gyms and then blessed to have so many good guide organizations right here in central Texas. Um, it's it's pretty easy for us here, you know. I don't know how it'd be for somebody that that lives in those smaller, you know, a smaller town like Pocatello, um, Idaho, you know, just right out there to access to just so much. But a really kind of a small town and a small community, you know, what's what's it like in their gym? What you know. It, we've become pretty big. Austin's really, really become kind of a, a climbing little spot. It's become everything that I always wished that it was. I remember one year just being real pissed when Conan Magazine did a, uh, a survey to de- determine what was the best climbing city in the United States. 
And I was like, no, no, it's Austin. It's Austin. We may not be destination climbing, but you've got basically anything right there at your fingertips with a 15 minute walk in. And then you've got an international airport. It'll take you any place in the world that you'll take those skills and go to. Besides that, then we've got great food. We've got great live entertainment. We've got, we've got sports and lakes and stuff to do on your off days. No, it's Austin, Texas. Um, and and I, I even wrote that letter to the editor. They didn't publish it. Um, but but um, I, I've come to realize, yeah, it came about. Yeah, you sold me. I normally when I, people ask me about Austin, I'm like, you can come to Austin, live, come live in Austin if it's for other things. But if you're coming here strictly for the climbing, move maybe go somewhere else. We, we all do. I mean, the but the climate here, it's you know, it's like it's like a free gymnasium to, in the Barton Creek Greenbelt. For it's sure. just waiting for you. Uh, as little rain as we get. You know, the only reason that that we don't go out there, it's too hot or it's too cold. Oh, come on. Let's go. You know, it just sits there waiting for us all the time. And that, and those, those limestone holes that gets polished and smoother all the time. They're just waiting there to help improve your, your footwork, improve your technique. You know, it's just, it's just waiting for us. And then I, Every climber I know, we, you know, we all think about what's, you know, what's going to be on our, our next list. What, what is the bucket list, you know, and where, where are we going, you know, this next season? What, what is up, you know? So it, the, the beauty is, is that all those skills just, just get on the airplane with you or get in the car with you and get right to the cliff. We're, because we're so centrally located. I mean, once you get out of Texas, you can, you know, you can go to, um horseshoe canyon or tennessee and go to like stone fort and um all those places and plus we have like nine and a half hours from austin is waco and now we have you know inks ranch is opening up yeah yeah so i mean there's yeah there's always betrayal but but for a place which you could that you could call home you know where you can work live eat you know I, i think about the accommodations for at Smith Rock, you know, and where are you going to eat? You know, incredible rock climbing, incredible rock climbing, but kind of sparse on the, you know, on the good places to stay and not that many restaurants, you know. Um, uh, Yosemite, for crying out loud, it's a four fucking hour drive from San Francisco to get there, you know, from any airport to get there. Yeah. And then then you're in some campsite like like Curry Village or something that's still an hour and a half hike to get to the base of the cliff line. It's like, huh. um, <laughs> uh, I've got, I got a lot of friends in the Denver Boulder area. So you generally end up getting to stay with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that makes up for that. But think about, uh, you know, uh, El Potrero EPC uh, comes pretty darn close about being close, easy access, good food great places to to camp and stay not as good as austin and doesn't have the live entertainment doesn't have the variety um uh yeah seneca rock west virginia jesus christ a gorgeous beautiful state park it is it's four hours from anywhere Uh, you know and there's just nothing there when you get there so austin (laughs) 
<laughs> Even at that, if you go to Waco, like it's only 30 minutes outside of El Paso. Yeah. So you, yeah. Can stay, you can stay in the Airbnb and get food at a restaurant and then be at the, you know, be at North Mountain in 45 minutes. If that. Before we wrap everything up, I have one last question I want to ask you. Um, what do you think some of the big, biggest challenges our climbing community is currently dealing with? Inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, complete understanding of um, our, our own community, our own uh, social bubbles that we live in and that we um, unintentionally exclude so many people i i mean that's that's a big one i mean that's the um above hardware maintenance above trail maintenance above access issues uh, i think it's inclusion i definitely agree with you um all right so this is the end um at the end we we ask if you have any um anything you'd like to shout out any organizations or uh yeah yeah i would i would like to I would like to thank all the young voters that turned out and voted last Tuesday that you made a difference. You got registered and you made a difference. And I, and I, number one, I thank you. And I encourage you to stay connected, stay in that pieces. There's some of the young people today, there are 14 year olds today that will be eligible in four years from now in the presidential election, help them pay attention, get registered, be ready. There's 16 year olds right now that will be eligible to vote in the, the next two year election that comes up. We have gubernatorial races, we have Senate and House races coming up. It's, it's the time to be aware of what those people are doing, how they're doing it, and, and make sure that your representative is in government doing stuff for people, right? Just, just be looking at it and thinking about, is this really helping people? And I'll add on to that and say thank you to all the communities that are of marginalized communities and people who tend to be disenfranchised with our government because they're not, they don't see themselves represented in it. They went out and voted. And I, yes, you know, it's, that's and awesome. without them, with, and, without those folks, we wouldn't have made it. For sure. we, we would not have made it. And so, yeah, thank you. Thank you to all, everybody that turned out. And thank you, Tommy, for joining us. Well, me and, and Emily. And you, Emily. <laughs> I know I know Emily's here. She She's listening to everything. And, and thank you, Emily. Thank you, Jeremy. This has been very enjoyable. And I could talk to you forever, but we have to go. And <laughs> Bye.